Happy Mother's Day from Centerpoint Church. We're so excited to spend some time with you today. I hope this message just lifts you up, brings you closer to Jesus. Let's jump right in. This whole message today is going to be about moms and the importance of moms. I'm going to do it in a weird way. It's probably a way that you've never heard before. I'm going to talk about a prostitute. (laughs) But I promise you, (laughs) that's what we call a Jesus juke. You think there's one way in. But there's going to be a reason, and it's going to make all perfect sense at the end. But I want to quote the wise sage Dorothy from the Golden Girls that really sums up Mother's Day to me. She says this. She says, it's not easy being a mother. If it were easy, then the fathers could do it. (laughs) Somebody said, woo. I want to talk to you today about a woman in the Bible by the name of Rahab. Now, if you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with this story, but don't let your familiarity breed indifference because I believe that God can speak to us a fresh word today. If it's your first time hearing about Rahab, then I think you're in for a treat because the word of God doesn't, uh, the word of God reveals something that shows his heart. And I think you're going to lean into a side of God that maybe you've never really thought about today. So let me give you a little bit of context. For those of you that have a Bible or if your Bible charges, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2. So it's right at the beginning of the Bible. You got the Torah and then you got Joshua. And so we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2. But Rahab is a Gentile harlot in a pagan world, a pagan city. I heard one preacher call her the shady lady of Jericho. And, and so what she is, she is a prostitute. And she is going to have an opportunity to change the legacy of her family forever. It's never too late for a legacy. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's never too late for a legacy. So Rahab, her family, we don't know exactly how it lines up, but we know they're either owners or they run this inn at the front of the city gates of this town, Jericho. Now that's going to be important a little bit later, and here's why. is because when you are traveling to another town, you're hungry, you're tired, and you're going to stop at the very first inn at the city gate. It's also where all of the business took place of the ancient cities. It would happen right there at the front entrance. And so the person who runs, who owns, owns or who works at the inn at the very front of the city, oh, they know all the juicy gossip. We're talking real housewives of Jericho here. Like she knows all of it because she's around. When you mix that in with her profession, which is the oldest profession in the world, prostitution, then she'll be around even more to hear this. Now, before we we become too difficult on, on, on Rahab, You've got to understand that really the prostitution wasn't because she just had this, this desire that was insatiable and she just had to go and, 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 and sleep around. It was more of human trafficking. It was more of oftentimes these women were groomed for it or life dealt them a hand where they had no other choice. No one was pleased about it. But Rahab is going to seize an opportunity to change her family legacy. So Joshua, you know Joshua as the, for me in my house, we will serve the Lord, which is pretty amazing. This is when he is a general. And General Joshua is going to send two spies into Jericho. It's a reconnaissance mission. I think that's what the military term is. Somebody shake your head yes if that's correct. Yes, Deb, help me out. No, nothing. I was a Boy Scout, so I don't know these things. I am. Of course I'm right. Yes. They send them out to spy the land. 
Now, here's a little side note. This may mean nothing to you, but this is kind of something that, that preachers find funny. Is earlier, when Moses sent out spies, he sent out 12 spies, if you remember the story. 10 of the 12 came back with negative news. Two came back with positive news. And that was actually this Joshua and his BFF Caleb. And so he sends out 12. 10 come back with bad news. Two come back with good news. So when it's Joshua's turn to send out spies, guess how many he sends out? too, because I don't want to hear any of the bad news. I don't know if that's exactly why, but I see that correlation. I see that echo, and I find it just slightly ironic. So let's jump into the Word now. We are in Joshua chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 2, and I want you to hear what the king of Jericho says. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy the whole land. Now, if you'll notice, that's future tense or actually past tense. So he's telling her now, those guys that already came to you, like, I want you to tell me about what they said. Verse 4. But the woman who'd taken the two men and hidden them, she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went, but you go after them quickly, you may be able to catch up with them. And then verse six is in parentheses, because it's like, hey, spoiler. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the, the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Verse 8, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live this country are melting in fear because of you. Verse 10, when, they, when, when we, have, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea and you came out of Egypt and you did so in Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. And then here's the key. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth below. This is a huge statement in a very polytheistic society that this woman would then make a monotheistic statement, and it's a capital G, which is emphasis in the Hebrew upon this is Yahweh, this is El Shaddai, this is the God of Abraham, and she makes this declaration. Now remember, this is Old Covenant. So New Covenant that you and I are in, salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. Old Covenant, this is her declaration statement of salvation of saying, this is the one true God. And she recognizes it. Because she says, well, we've heard about what you said. We've heard about what your God has done. And these people are freaking out over it. That's my translation. But she says, but not me. Because she recognized it. Now, Rahab, who in society would be kicked aside, discarded, as too broken to be fixed, too discarded to be used by God, She's going to show up three times in the New Testament. Three times, and they're all at epic spots. So she sees the faith. She recognizes who God is. That's the first step of salvation. That is salvation, but that's entry level. So then what happens after that is then there's got to be action. There's got to be something. And so there's one person in the New Testament who really talks about faith without works is dead. 
and it's James. Rahab shows up in the book of James, the first of three times in the New Testament that she shows up. Now, James, let me just give you a little side note because we're going we're gonna to read this scripture she shows up. James is the half-brother of Jesus. I say half-brother because he's the biological son of Joseph and Mary. He's the half-brother of Jesus, who, by the way, didn't believe that Jesus was actually the son of God till after the resurrection. And then he's like, okay, fine, I guess you're right. And before you're too hard on James, you wouldn't believe it either if your brother was the Messiah. I wouldn't believe it. James is not the guy you want to ask, does this shirt make me look fat? Don't ask him. Because the entire thing, like if you're one of those people that's like really blunt and you want to keep it real and you want people to tell you like it really is, you'll love the book of James. If you're not and you're like emotion driven, stay with John, maybe Paul, stay away from James. But James mentions Rahab and I set that up to say that James would not say it unless he meant it. So you have a lady in the Old Testament who declared that God was Yahweh, then her actions, she put her life on the line to save the spies. Now I want you to hear what James says. 225 through 26. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she gave, for when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, what I think we need to remind ourselves is this, is there's an algorithm of words, actions equal a legacy. Words and actions. If we get this mixed up and we only have words, our children and our grandchildren are going to grow up thinking the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. If we only have actions, then you get the glory, not God. Then your children will go up and say, my mom was such a good woman. She did so many things. I don't want my kids to know anything about me without Jesus in the same sentence. So Rahab has words, but then she has actions. And James right here says, because of her actions, her whole family was saved. And we're going to get into the second half of that story. But I want you to see this picture of a Monopoly card. We've been on this Monopoly kick for a while. So... We were playing Monopoly, and I see this card on Community Chest, and it says, you received an inheritance. You inherit 100 bucks. And I started thinking about this inheritance is something that we leave our kids, right? Now, it may be 100 bucks, but the truth is we all leave our kids something. It might be monetary, might be money, might be property, I left my kids great jeans, like good hair, big nose. Well, not that part. You may leave your, your, your family something genetically, but you may leave them with something that's much longer lasting. We all leave them with something. Memories, a paradigm of our morals, a view of God, Believe it or not, your children and your grandchildren see you, and that's how they start creating this paradigm of what it looks like to be a follower of God. Sometimes we leave positive things with our kids, but some of you in here, I meet with people every week counseling, and the very first thing we do is go through family history, because oftentimes you're a product of the environment that you were raised in. 
When my grandfather, I've told this story before, if you've heard it, forgive me, because I have a microphone, you have no choice. But, but I haven't said it in a while. So when my grandfather passed away, he was a preacher. I remember my grandma telling me he left me something. And I, what's my first thought? Oh, he left me some money. I'm going to quit my job because I was a middle school history teacher. So I'm like, man, I'm going to quit. <laughs> Just kidding. I liked my job, but it would have been nice. Uh, he didn't leave me money, full disclosure. And I thought, man, maybe some gold coins. Uh, maybe, you know, some hidden property he had in Nebraska. I mean, I don't know. What's he going to leave me? And my grandma goes back in the bedroom and I'm like, all right, here it is. At least I'm going to have enough to buy a new car. And she hands me this old book. And it was a Bible commentary with his handwritten sermon notes over on the margins. Now, 22-year-old Jason was like, what the heck? I got robbed. You better not have left my brother money <laughs> because I'm the oldest. I'm supposed to inherit all this. Here's the thing. And you may be thinking, well, that was a gift for, for a guy who's a preacher, right? Naturally. Oh, oh no, no, no. I was so far removed from God and church. The reality is at the time, I was that guy that if the Niners had the early game, I would skip church. Or I would only go to church if all of these different things lined up. I had a good week. The weather was nice. We didn't have plans. Then we would go. That's just who I was. And so why on earth would my grandfather leave me sermon notes when I barely even went to church? I believe that he is speaking life into his grandson even at death. I believe he's focusing on the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen, because the things that are unseen are eternal. And here we are now, all these years later, and I'm still motivated, encouraged by a grandfather who saw me, probably the way that Jesus sees me, is not what I am, but what I could be. That I'm not a product of who I am right now or who I have been but I'm a son of the Most High King. It's never too late for a legacy. We all leave our children something. Is it something that's going to pay eternal dividends? Let's find out what happens in the second half of Rahab's story. Because you're going to leave your kids with one of three things. Just words. Just actions. Or words with actions pointing to God. Verse 12. Now then, this is Rahab speaking. Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you and your family faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Now, pause that for just a minute. What this speaks to me is, is that Rahab's salvation then became important for her whole family to be saved. So many times I think that we receive grace and mercy from God, we receive salvation, and then we keep it like it's our best little kept secret. But Rahab knew instantly that now it's about also saving the rest of my family. Now she's talking physically, but remember, we're old covenant. So here's what I get from that, and this is for you. 
free. We're not passing the offering back. Once you've reached salvation, then it's time to move on and find who are the ones in your life that also need that hope, that are hopeless. God needs to use you. If you have family members right now that are heartbeat away from hell, oh, you got work to do. Oh, we got work to do. And so Rahab instantaneously starts realizing, now it's not about me, it's also about my family. Oh, oh, women, don't underestimate the power of the prayers of a godly mom or grandma. We've been studying in Revelation on Wednesday nights that the prayers of the saints, it says that they are still incense. They are a sweet aroma around the throne of God in the future, which means when you pray for your children or grandchildren, it doesn't just dissipate and lose power, but the word of God says that they are sitting at the throne room of the Most High God, and it's a sweet smell. Don't underestimate the power of praying. But then it requires actions. Verse 17. No, verse 15. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was, not, was a part of the city wall. When she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there three days until they return. How many days? Then go on your way. Now the men said to her, this oath you have made us will not be binding on us unless we, when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. That should sound familiar, by the way, of putting something red over your door. Unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all of your family into your house, if any of them go outside to your house in the streets, their blood will be on your head. We will not re be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on your head if a ha hand is laid on them. But if they, you tell what we are doing, then we, you will be released from the oath that we made. We will be released. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. This is an echo throughout scripture. So you have the Passover, you have this, you have the blood of Jesus. They all are echoes. Now, because of her actions, the rest of her family were saved. We've talked about this before. There's no such thing as grandchildren in the kingdom of heaven. So don't think that just having faith alone was a guarantee that your kids will be saved or follow you. There's no proof of it. How many of us are in a season where our relationship with God is kind of our secret? And I did this for a while. Where I'm only going to pray by myself. I'm only going to read up in the room with the door shut so no one else in my family knows what I'm doing. And I just assume because I am a good person, because I am saved, that it means my kids will fall right in line. But for Rahab, she's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. That she made them promise that her family would be saved with the red cord. So as they're sitting there thinking, why are we, why are we locked up in this? I mean, this is, this is quarantine thousands of years earlier. But why are we in here? Why are you tying that up? Why are we? And this is the conversation. So two other times, Rahab shows up. The next one is pretty epic. 
The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 writes what we call in Bible school the Faith Hall of Fame. Think about the Mount Rushmore of men and women of God. Think about the Harlem Globetrotters in heaven, like the Faith Hall of Fame. And, and the writer of Hebrews lists all of these men that do these amazing things. Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Moses, boom, boom, boom. And guess who shows up? Verse 31, you got all of these amazing people who have done amazing things because we think of things for God the way man does. It has to be a big stage. There's got to be cameras there. You got to have a blue check mark next to your name. Like that's the only way that God like looks at things like this is worthwhile. This is impactful. No, 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 no. This is one woman who took matters in her own hands. Spoiler, look who shows up in verse 31 in the Hebrews Hall of Fame. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. That's a bigger deal than you're thinking right now. She went from hall of shame to hall of fame. Don't underestimate the power of what a mom can do. In 1772, a guy by the name of John Newton wrote a song that you know. You don't know that you know it, but you know it. It's called Amazing Grace. Even people who are so far from God that want nothing to do with church, they've heard of Amazing Grace. And, and, and when you sing that song, it has power. Sometimes, like, I, I, I hear that song and it stirs up nostalgia in a good way. It reminds me of sitting there in the pew at Capital Christian Center in Sacramento, California, and I can hear my grandmother and my grandfather singing it. And at the time, I didn't really know the words, but I associated it with the emotions. And I can, I can still hear my grandfather singing it poorly, by the way. Great preacher, terrible singer. <laughs> Sorry grandfather. But I can hear it. But if you know about the story behind it, this guy reaches salvation. He's English. And he was a slave trader. A human trafficker that received salvation. And so when you hear him say amazing grace, the word amazing we throw around a lot. This pizza's amazing. That, that, that movie was amazing. But he's talking about the grace. Like how can a God forgive me? of taking human beings and, and bringing them down to the lowest level possible and thinking that they could be sold or thinking that I could just make decisions about their lives. It's no different than, than what some people try to do today is you devalue human life. And then you can do whatever you want with it if it's not life. And he's sitting here thinking, how can I be forgiven of this? What kind of God can forgive me for free? It don't cost nothing. So when he says that saved a wretch like me, it means something. So who, who are you? What have you done? Where are you now? Rahab shows up again. 
and I save the best for last. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, Rahab shows up again. And this is the whole reason you're here today. Somebody needs to hear this. It's never too late for a legacy. You see, up to this point, Rahab made a lot of decisions that she probably wasn't proud of. Guess what? So have you. So have I. And she probably thought up to this point, I've messed up with my children or my grandchildren that I can never fix it now. My legacy is going to be one of shame. My legacy is going to be one of sin. My legacy is going to be one of missed opportunities. But it's never too late for a legacy. See, Matthew chapter 1 He's a tax collector. He's a Jewish tax collector. And he's writing his gospel to a Jewish audience. And so in chapter one, it's probably the one that if you read it, you kind of skip over it. I know you do. Because it has just a family history. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Because to his Jewish audience, he knew right away, I have to prove to them that Jesus of Nazareth comes from the line of David. Because the Jews would be like, bro, before I'm even going to listen about this Jesus, he's got to come from the family line of David. You just have to. If not, we're wasting our time here. And so he starts his gospel off by going from the very beginning. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so to prove that Jesus is Messiah. To prove that Jesus is from the line of David. To prove that Jesus is the Lion of Judah, but the sacrificial lamb. And so he's writing this on purpose. Boom, boom. I want you to hear who shows up again. Chapter 1, 5 through 6. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Rahab, broken, discarded, shame, full of shame, full of bad decisions. That was going to be her legacy. Because up to that point, oh, she's messed up a lot. And even if you can convince somebody that they can be forgiven by God, the next step is to just convince them that they can leave a legacy for God for generations and then here's the important part it's the best part that's why I love the word of God so much is the more you study it you start seeing deeper layers of the character of my king of my savior right off the bat the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew the tax collector to write down he didn't have to include Rahab could have just said the father but he did but here's the best part pull that back up on the screen if it's if it's still there verse 5 the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab now you may be thinking what's the big deal on that oh no longer is she known as Rahab the prostitute oh no She's now known as the mother. 
Because when Jesus shows up, Oh, you're no longer a sum of all of your sins. You're no longer defined by what you have done or what the world says your value is. You are now known as who Jesus sees you, a son or daughter of the Most High King who he has called by name. That's where celebrating, church. Come on, this is the part where you give God a shout of praise. Come on. It's never too late for a legacy. Your legacy for the kingdom can start today. I don't care if you messed up this morning. I don't care what you've done. Because we see in Rahab, she is no longer the prostitute. She is Rahab, the mother. Jesus wasn't ashamed, too ashamed to put her in his family tree. Just the same as Jesus isn't ashamed to put you in his family tree. If you become a son or a daughter of the Most High King, your picture is on his refrigerator. You may be ashamed of yourself, but he's never been ashamed of his children. But now, she's a part of the royal line of Jesse, of David, and of Jesus. Jesus made her, this gave her this transition, transition from a prostitute to a princess because now she's a part of the royal line. We'll close with this. You know we're almost done because the mood music is playing. (laughs) That's how you know. I think that if we just gather here today and we're entertained or we feel good, then it really just becomes kind of a, a movie Uh, Steve, it becomes a Christian TED Talk. But every time that we spend time in the Word of God, we should leave a little bit changed. And so there's a variety of people here. There's people in this room, there's people watching that are in all different areas. Some of you are living that life where you have been redeemed. You've come out of this. Some of you are right now in the middle of it where you're trying to wrestle, what does this new version look like? How do I become a woman of God? What do I do? Am I too old? Have I messed up too much? Because my kids aren't even here anymore. They want nothing to do with church and it's my fault. I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. And then some of you at the same time are just not even, you're just on the precipice of salvation where you're like, why would God want anything to do with me? But here's the reality. is that Jesus could have made us his servants. He could say, you get to be a servant, and when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to live like by God, and you're going to get to serve him his tea in the morning, because I assume he drinks tea and speaks King James. Like (laughs) You're going to get to do all of these things, but no, 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 no. He says, you are co-heirs to the kingdom of heaven, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, sanctified, set apart. So if you've messed up all the way to today, the story of Rahab is the story that it's never too late to leave a legacy. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. And Jeremy's going to play. And as he's playing, you'll be dismissed. But there's a couple opportunities. So our deacons will be right up in front over on the corners. 
uh, and it's a prayer team. If you need prayer, that's where you go. But also on the back of the chairs are these cards. It says next step. And on the next step card, there's a variety of things that you can mark off. You can turn in a prayer request. You can say, hey, I, I want to give my life to the Lord. I want to rededicate my life. And I will personally reach out to you this week because I want to walk you through what that looks like. And I want to celebrate with you. And I want to equip you. This isn't a place where you just close your eyes, raise your hand real quick so we can say amen, feel good about ourselves, and then you go home the same person. What's the point? The point is that we can do this together and walk through that. Do you know what the most powerful thing that you can do for your kids is? Is to be transparent. Be like, hey, up to this point, I've really messed up. But I'm trying. And let me tell you what Jesus is doing in my life. Nothing will speak more volumes to your kids than faith and actions. Faith with words. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the women in this room, God. I thank you for the power of a godly mom or grandma. And I thank you, Lord, that your word never returns void. And I, I pray right now for the people in this room that are up to this point have felt kind of worthless, kind of broken, discarded. And I pray for the people in this room that the enemy has convinced them that their value is minimal. And I just pray they lean into you, God, that they will hear your voice and that they will be reminded that you have called them by name. I pray for the families that are connected in this church, God, that through all of us, we will leave a legacy, a legacy for you, God, and that even long after we are gone on this earth and with you, that that legacy, the family tree of people who served Yahweh, you, Lord, will still be shining bright, God. And all God's people said, Amen. Can we celebrate for what God did in this place today?